We are beginning a new uh, teaching series today for the uh, uncertain sermon series that we're going to be going through for the next couple of weeks. And we're digging into the story of Joseph in the Bible. When life throws us a curveball after God's promises, the question is, what will we do? The word uncertain is defined as not knowing what to do or believe or not able to decide about something. It also means what is not known or fixed or what is not completely certain. The current state of affairs in the world, we could definitely label them as being uncertain. If there's any word I can think of for right now, uncertainty is the word that we're living out. So my desire is to present some biblical truths from the story of Joseph that will keep us hope and to keep that hope alive during unexpected times. The last 13 chapters of Genesis is devoted to the story of Joseph. That's 25% of the first book of the Bible. There must be some significant truths that cause God to have Moses to account for this in Joseph's life story. There's one verse that is coined often that when you hear somebody speak about Joseph, and this is a, a verse that if you've been around church much at all that you've potentially heard. And this is Joseph's his view of what God had done throughout his life. Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Let us believe and hope that that is the truth for every individual. Amen. Listening online, listening this week on a podcast, sitting here in the seat today. What the world intended harm for me, God intended it for the good. Amen. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, whatever situation you're living out, know this, that God will cause all things to work together for the good to those that are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8, uh, Leslie's favorite verse. So this is the story of Joseph that we're looking at. It's often said, why does bad things happen to good people? It's a question that is asked often of ministers, and I'm sure that it's asked of you as a layperson if you've put your Christianity out in the forefront of wherever you work, I'm sure that you get into conversations at time at your job site or maybe in the community if you're part of a group or a, a different club or organization, I'm sure you come into this question, why does bad things happen to good people? How many's ever heard that? I want to show of hands if you've ever heard that. Why does bad things happen to good people? <laughs> and I think that's a legitimate question. And I think our humanity causes us to ask those questions. Because we are born with a carnal nature, according to the New Testament. And that carnal nature is a nature that questions things. Jesus, when he was born of the Virgin Mary and lived through his life as a human being on this planet that we're living on, historically, that's a fact. It's proven. They know where the tomb is. All accounts of historical documents leading back, there's more histo historical documents proving the existence of Jesus than any other human that's ever lived on this planet. I love historical facts. I love documentation, don't you? I love proof because the proof is in the pudding. And I like pudding. Amen. So, as we look at this, know this, that the question, 
Even Jesus in his carnality when he was hanging on the cross and he lived a perfect sinless life, yes, but when he was hanging on that cross and they had crucified him and he was hanging there between two thieves and he had no reason to be there other than the fact that the religious leaders of that day and time wanted to get him out of the way so they could continue their efforts. They were subverting the truth they were weighing things and with uh, offset scales, and that's the reason Jesus turned over the tables in the temple. Jesus came to set truth in action, not in words. So as he's hanging on that cross, there was no reason for him to be hanging there other than the fact that the religious leaders wanted him there because they didn't like him accomplishing truth. The Bible says to know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I want to know truth. I don't want to know fiction. I want to know truth. So Jesus hanging on this cross. We know the picture. We got the images during Easter. And he looks over and he, he talks to the individuals that's there hanging beside of him. And this goes on, this agony for hours, nailed to a tree. And he asks, you know, what, what are you here for? What are you here for? And he begins to ask questions. Jesus does in his carnality. He's asking them, why are you here? One guy didn't like it very much. The guy on the other side, Jesus asked him, and, and that guy says, well, you have no reason to be here. You're innocent. We're guilty. We deserve to be here. We've done bad things. And because of our ill misdeeds caused us to live out what we're existing in in this moment. And he told Jesus, forgive me. And he asked him for the ability to enter into heaven with him after that day was over. And Jesus looked back at him and said, You will be with me today in paradise. Everybody say, Jesus can fix my mess. Amen. He can cure what ails me. <laughs> he is the fixer of my problems. He did not create my problems. He fixes my problems. So my answer to the question is this. If somebody asks me, why does bad things happen to good people? My answer is always this. God didn't intend it to be that way. When he created heaven and earth, and you go back and look at the story of Genesis, you'll see a perfect creation because God spoke the world into existence. He created Adam and Eve out of the dust of the ground. He breathed in their nostrils, and the, the, this dust ball became flesh known as humans. And it says God created them in his image. And I don't believe that God is a bad God. I don't believe he created evil. I think evil exists to oppose his goodness. He's not mixed up. He doesn't have gray areas. It's black and white. He is good. The enemy is evil. So we cannot blame a good God for the bad things that we're living out. The fall of mankind when Adam and Eve was in that Garden of Eden and God told them, do everything you want. You can have every bit of this. Every bit of it. Nothing is off limits other than this one little twig standing over here in the middle. You can go out and eat every berry, just, just go out and, you know, got cattle and, and all the dinosaurs and everything's all around here. Just, just take dominion of it all. You've, you've got it all. Power over every bit of it. But this one thing, don't do. This is truth. And Adam and Eve's out there, and you know, lollygagging around in the garden, having a good old time. And everything's good until something shows up. One day they're out in the garden, they're there together. They're, they're side by side, and you can read this account in Genesis. Right side by side, they're walking through the garden in the cool of the day and just having a good old time. There had been no rain, there had been no floods, there had been no issues. It had been a perfect world. To some people, that might be the beach. I hate the beach. That's one of the dumbest things on the planet to go down there and sit on a beach and get sunburnt. I'm too, <laughs> my complexion doesn't fare well there. Aunt Mary's been with me. I got my feet sunburnt so bad one time I couldn't even walk. 
because I thought I was a volleyball star. <laughs> Wrong place for this guy. Whatever your areas of, of bliss is, wherever Ollie Hop Noodle's haven of bliss, Ernie's the only one in the room knows what that is. If you never watched that movie, you might ought to. Everybody's bliss is different. Everybody enjoys different things, right? We're humans. And that's what the Garden of Eden was, a perfect place where all was bliss. So I asked one of our young guys today walking in, I said, why are you so gleeful? He said, speak in English, please. (laughs) All the old people knows what gleeful is. I guess the young people don't. The young lady here did. She knew. She's in the middle of the ground. You're, you're not early and you're not too late. You're just right place. So why does bad things happen to good people? Because in that haven of bliss, known as the Garden of Eden, God had one twig. Don't mess with it. How many, how many knows this, that God knows better than you I believe that he knows a lot better than I do I mess things up he fixes things so they're out here in the garden of Eden next thing you know they're lollygagging around yeehaw just whistling you know enjoying the day you don't have to work you don't have to anything how many would like a place like that where you don't have to work anymore that's heaven he said you didn't have to tool the ground you didn't have to do anything it was perfect it's retirement life with a healthy body, of course. Usually by the time you get to a place for retirement, then you can't do the things you always wanted to do. So they're, they're getting there, and they're walking through, and one day they got too close to that little bush. And in the middle of that bush, the place where they didn't need to be, because they got too close to it, who was there? The devil. Satan himself, in the form of a snake, Twisted around that evil place known as the knowledge of tree of good and evil. Don't go here, humans. God had told them. He warned them. He's warned you. They wallowed up next to that tree. The enemy gets to talking and says, guess what? The reason God don't want you to get near the fruit of this tree is because you'll be like him. How many wants to be like God? I hope everybody in this room. (laughs) We should desire to be like him. That's what being Christian is. Christ-like. There's nothing wrong with desiring to be like God. And the foolish part was, what the enemy tricked them with, was he made them believe they was not. Whose image was they created in? God's. They was already like him anyway. The enemy will trick you into believing Something that is false that is actually true. And he'll actually cause you to believe the exact opposite of that. That whatever is false is true. He's the deceiver. Jesus said he is the father of all lies. That's who the enemy is. So in believing these uncertainties, there is some certainties. I believe some things are absolute truth and there is no Wishy-washy, there is no uh, ability to wonder whether it's true or maybe it's part true or maybe you've got to twist it this way to be true. It's all truth. God's Word is true. So as I look at that verse and look at that and think about, well, what, why does bad things happen to good people? The same way it happened for Adam and Eve, their decision to partake of that tree caused what? They had to go to work. Idiots. Come on, somebody. I, I, I get to heaven someday. I think I'm just going to say, look at it and say, man, you're an idiot. You didn't have to work. It's forever retirement. And you go in and make us work? What's wrong with you? Probably heaven would be a good place where we're not allowed to talk to each other that way. It's good to think about while we're here, though, right? So the reason bad things happen to good people is because they believe a lie and they get too close to evil Come on, somebody. And it rubs off on us, and it causes us to have an action that is opposing to God's truth, which brings about evil in our life. 
So the bad that I endure is because of my evil carnal nature. It's not God's fault. It's my fault for believing the lie the enemy told me. So as I think about this, I think we have to get to this point. Lots of bad things happen to good people. I think we're good people. I think we're still created in God's image as humans. I think we are still here today created in his image. Because without God's breath in our body, we can't even breathe. He makes us alive. I don't keep myself alive. He created me in his image and breathed breath into my body so that I can continue to live. And the second he says it's up, it's up. It's appointed man wants to die after that, the judgment. It's pretty clear. So as I look at that, why does bad things happen to good people? I believe it's because of our sometimes ignorance. Does anybody know some ignorant people that does some bad things? Done something that was ignorant? Maybe it's somebody you're sitting inside of, so you don't want to look over at them, but you can look over at somebody else and say, I, I know somebody pretty ignorant. I'm not going to tell who it is. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to explain that or anything, but I, I know some ignorant people that mess some things up. So this verse, I believe in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, this is what Joseph is saying. That what the enemy intends to harm us, God will bring it about for the good. He intended it all for good. So even though bad things happen to me, God can make it better. So as I was thinking through those 13 chapters from Genesis chapter 37 through Genesis chapter 50, and this story of Joseph and 25% of the first book of the Bible, apparently it's a pretty important information. There's something that causes me to believe because Abraham didn't get that many chapters. Adam and Eve didn't get that many chapters. No other individual in the book of Genesis got 25% of the, of the chapters in that book. So there has to be some importance here. Basically means pay attention. Sometimes some things are obvious that we need to pay attention to. And when you're reading through the Bible, don't just read it to read it. And don't read it because the reading plan told you to read that many verses that day. Read the Bible to know the truth of the Bible. I don't want to just read it to have a, a badge number to say how many times I've won and, and according to Isabella, how many days she can keep every day. Nothing wrong with that. Keep the good work up. But it isn't about bragging rights in reading the Bible. I want to know the truth of Scripture so that I don't mess up, so that evil don't befall me. If we bury the truth in our heart, from the heart flows all the issues of life. So if I put truth in, guess what's got to happen? Better days. If I put truth in, I get to live out what it tells me to live out. Because I won't be ignorant of the devices and schemes of the evil one. So as I was thinking about that and thinking about, you know, 25% of Genesis and and how important that is. And there was this guy in the New Testament in, in Acts chapter 7. His name was Stephen. And Stephen was this guy that was testifying. And, and, and basically at his trial of whether they was going to figure out whether he was going to die or not. So he was in the middle of a trial. And that trial was going to determine whether he dies or whether he lives. So in the midst of this, Stephen is there. And they took him out outside the city because they can't kill anybody in the city. They take him out of the city because they don't want that, you know, gloom and doom on the city. So they take him out of the city and they take him out here and he begins to talk. And you need to read this. It's in Acts chapter 7 that Stephen begins to go through this journey of history and tells a historical fact sectioned out throughout all of history leading from the time of the beginning, Adam and Eve, up to the time of existence of what Jesus had just said and done. So as Stephen is going through this. He was a guy that had some bad things coming to him, and he kind of knew it, so he thought, I'm going to lay some facts out here so that the people that's getting ready to kill me, at least they'll know the truth, and maybe the truth will set them free. Even in the midst of bad times, what should you be speaking? The truth. Scripture. 
Pray the Word of God over your situation. If you're facing battles, get the Word out, find a, a verse that talks about it, and begin to speak that over your situation and see if God is not able to handle and fix the situation that you're in. I'm not saying instantly. Sometimes it can be instant. But sometimes you can be like Stephen and die within a few minutes of it. But guess what? At least you had the opportunity to speak the Word of God. So I'm going to read what Stephen says. This is just about the Joseph part. Just a few verses here. He says, this is Acts chapter 7, verses 9 through 18. The patriarchs were jealous of their brother Joseph. Everybody say, we're talking about Joseph. It's uncertain times. We've got to learn from Joseph. Oh, Joey boy. Right? You've got to learn from Joey. Okay. And they sold him to be a slave in Egypt. They were jealous of him. And his brothers sold him as a slave. They say, that's bad times. That's bad things happen to good people. Nobody, no human should ever be a slave. What kind of church am I in here? I give you an opportunity to agree with something. No human should ever be a slave. It's not enough. You're not very convincing. It sounds like I drugged that out of you now. Come on with it. No human should ever be a slave. A little better. You can do better than that, though. Live your life saying that over and over. No wage slave. Amen. There shouldn't be any wage slaves. There shouldn't be any slaves at all. There shouldn't be any slaves of a wife in a, in a home where an abusive husband beats her up and that kind of stuff. That's not according to Scripture. God don't intend for you to have to live through that. It's be a good place for the men to say amen. The only way for evil to triumph is for a good man to say nothing. And I'm not saying I'm the perfect husband because I'm not. If you don't believe that, ask Leslie. She can testify. The longer you live through those things, when you first get married, man, it's hard putting up with ignorance. After a while, you just get used to it. Just let it roll off your back like a duck. Just flap out there in water, and water run off of you. It's all good. She wanted a Jeep. First got married. I want a Jeep. I don't want no Jeep. It wasn't for me, exactly. I said, you ain't buying a Jeep that's automatic because that's for sissies. And I'm not going to be married to a sissy. So we go over there and she buys a new Jeep. I said, well, you're going to get a Jeep or you can get to go to college. Which do you want? Well, I want a Jeep. That sounds like a wise choice. That'll make you a lot of money. Is this true? Okay, this is true. And, and here we go. We go over and get a Jeep. Get, and I'm going to get a standard shift. Just wait. You don't have a sissy Jeep. Ain't nobody needs no sissy Jeep. If you got an automatic Jeep, I'm sorry. Ryan, is your Jeep automatic? Okay, good, good, good. I was getting ready to step back here for a minute. I was going to get some eggs thrown at me or something. So, so we get this Jeep, and, and I tell her, I said, you're just going to have to learn how to drive it because Ernie never had a, a standard shift, I guess, that she learned how to drive it. And they had, they had standard Chevettes once upon a time, but that was prior to Leslie. Leslie's not as old as Chevettes. Anybody know what a Chevette is? Best car on the planet. I remember how he having a Chevette, but it was automatic. It was a sissy Chevette. I drove to work, four-door, had dual antennas, 12-foot tall. He had bought out of J.C. Whitney a, a light like Kit had in it. So you felt like Dave Hasselhoff or whatever his name is. His name? What's his name? Knight Rider. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's, what, that's how he Chevette. It was awesome. So we get, we get that Jeep, and we head over, you know, and start driving around, and she's going to try to drive it, and, where she's going to learn. So I thought, well, we go to Raceland Church. Let's just go over to the church parking lot. Nobody's there. And if you hit something, at least you'll hit the church. It won't be anything else. Pastor Wells won't get too mad. You know, it'd be better than a parking lot somewhere that you don't know anybody. So uh, try to show her and talk to her about it. And how many knows when you're young, 
<laughs> you just don't listen. You did not take me home and drop me off. No, you didn't. I walked home. So her version of the story is different than mine. I got out of that Jeep in that church parking lot, and I walked home. It wasn't very far. It'd be like walking from here to Joe Don's house over here. It wasn't very far, but I did walk Yeah, I did walk home. And I said, just get home however how you want. Learn on your own. School of hard knocks. It's a wonder the clutch existed after that, but... Apparently she got home, right? Still here. <laughs> she always says, why are you so nice to everybody else and so mean to me? And that was probably true. When you're young, it's hard to get through those things. So if you're a young couple, any other young couples around here, listen to me. Keep on keeping on. Come on, some of you senior adults that's been through it. Keep on keeping on. Learn to love and learn to accept them just like they are. Because guess what? I can't change her. It's proven she's still the same. You don't have the notes. You've got a screen. I'm clinging to hope. So, uncertain times are always there. Bad things happen to good people. Because we just get ourselves in situations we don't need to get into. I'm not talking about my marriage. I'm glad I'm married. Ernie raised a good one. Karen's saying, what about me? <laughs> good job, Karen. You're, you're just like her. You're Leslie's mom. If anybody don't know them, look back here. They're in the blue. They kind of got tie-dyed on just like Leslie. So, well, she ain't got hers on today. Wave real big. Karen and Ernie. Anybody don't know Karen and Ernie? That's Leslie's mom and dad. They're awesome. I love my in-laws. I love my in-laws, and I'm thankful for them. God, help us to be the best we can be. So as Stephen was blurting out these things and, and going through this history lesson, he's telling people that already knows this history, but he's trying to point to truth because apparently they had heard it, but that don't mean that they lived it out. It's different to hear the Scripture and live the Scripture. There is an absolute difference. You can come and hear sermons weekly, and walk out and do the same thing you always did and still going to be in the same trouble you've always been in. But I love what Pastor Chris Hodges says all the time from down at Church of the Highlands down in Alabama. I love listening to him, listen to him weekly, uh, listen to his sermons, and he's awesome. And he says, give me one year. Come to church and come for a year and live it. What you hear, live. If we give you an action step to go out and live that week, live it out. And watch and see if in a year's time, if your, your world don't completely turn completely around, where that you don't have to live in the same struggles that you once lived in. I'm telling you, as a Christian, I, I know what hell I lived on earth prior to becoming a Christian. When I become a Christian, I, I'm not saying my world's perfect, but God has helped me through time to become better. I need action steps to live and walk out. I need to live these out, not just hear them, but actually walk in them. So Stephen's screaming these things out, and it's, he's on his, his trial. He said, but God was, he said, yeah, they sold him into slavery, but God was with him. Bad things happened to Joey Boy. He got sold as a slave, but God was with him. And what if we would read that verse and put ourselves in Joey's position and say, if God was with Joey, so he'll be with me. And I might find myself in a situation that I don't want to be in. There may be controversy. There may be trials and all kinds of things plaguing me. But guess what? God is with me. 
And I know a verse in the scripture that says, if God be for me, who can be against me? So if I start walking out these verses and just tiptoeing through the tulips, guess what? My life is going to become better. It doesn't say that I'm not going to be a slave. It says that God is with me. And if God be for me, who can be against me? Nobody. The enemy cannot overpower God. The only way he can do that is if you're like Adam and Eve and take of that fruit because he's whispering in your ear and eating of the thing that's forbidden. If God said it's sin, leave it alone. Lay it down. Hebrews says, let us lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us. And let us run the race of perfection. Let us run with endurance. Let's finish the race. He that endures till the end shall be saved. It's us, folks. We have to decide, am I going to live in sin or am I going to walk in obedience to Christ? I prefer the second. So as he's talking about these things, but God was with him. Verse 10, and rescued him from all his troubles. And God gave him favor before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. God also gave Joseph an un unusual amount of wisdom so that Pharaoh appointed him governor over all of Egypt and put him in charge of the palace. He was a slave. He lands in a house and is purchased by a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar puts him in some charge of things. Potiphar's wife tries to come on to Joey, and Joey says, no, my God tells me not to mess with another man's wife. He says, I'm not doing it. She tells lies on him. He ends up in prison. Bad things are still happening to Joey, but Joey's still doing the right thing. It's never wrong to do the right thing. Verse 11, but a famine came upon Egypt and Canaan, and there was great misery, and all our ancestors... Our ancestors ran out of food. The brothers, the 11 brothers that sold him into slavery ends up in a place where they're in lack and they don't even have food. So for you and me, that means Walmart's doors are closed, Kroger's doors are closed, Collins's grocery stores are closed. What's the one down here now? It used to be called Food Land, now it's called something else, Save a Lot. And heaven forbid if Dollar General ever closes. Everybody say, that'd be a famine. When they're talking in here, it's talking about them going out and raising it and growing it. We just walk in there and get our cereal in a box. Amen, I love cereal. I cook it all the time. Verse 12, Jacob heard that there was still grain in Egypt, so he sent his sons, our ancestors, to buy some. Thank God it isn't a famine everywhere. Verse 13, the second time they went, Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers, and they were introduced to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent his father Jacob and all the relatives to come to Egypt, 75 persons in all. So Jacob went to Egypt. He died there, as did our ancestors. Their bodies were taken to Shechem and buried in the tomb of Abraham that brought certain price for Hamer's son in Shechem. As the time drew near when God would fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in, in Egypt greatly increased. But then a new king came to the throne of Egypt who nothing, who knew nothing of Joseph. Joseph made a difference in an entire nation. So as I look through the story of Joseph, these 25% of the book of Genesis, I want us to understand we're going to go through four weeks of this. But it's information. I'm just laying all the groundwork here to get us a solid foundation to build off of for the next several weeks. I want you to come. I want you to hear what this story is about because there is truth in here, I promise you, that can help you live a better life, that will help you endure pain with a reality that Jesus is with me, God is with me. So the first one here that I want to talk about just for a second or two is Joseph had two dreams. So we got the cliff note version from Stephen, yes, that was just so many verses, but there's 13 chapters that he condensed down to about 10, 12 verses. So here we are with 13 chapters we need to dig through. And it's, it's about dreams. And if you look all the way through the story of Joseph in its entirety, you'll see a lot of different dreams.
You may say, I'm a dreamer. But I'm not the only one. I'm not the only dreamer. Joseph was not the only dreamer. God intends for your dreams. And he uses them. God is the author of your dreams. Not nightmares. Dreams. He intends to give you dreams. So my prayer is, as we go through these next four weeks, that we would be like Joseph and that God would awaken us in the middle of the night, in the quiet, where that everything settles down a little bit. He can speak to us through dreams. So I'm going to pray for us as a church that dreams would initiate in our minds because our minds are polluted with garbage. Anybody have a problem up in here? It's where the enemy lives for free and you let him live there. It's free real estate to him. Romans tells us, you know, to watch our thoughts. That God can prepare things in our mind where dreams come from. And God can take over. How many is ready to give God control of your mind? I'm tired of the thoughts that I think. So Joseph had two dreams himself personally. And you've got to be careful when you share your dreams because not everybody wants you to thrive. Not everybody wants you to succeed. Be careful who you tell your dreams to. When others can't see it, you've got to continue in hope. Everybody say, I'm clinging to hope. I'm going to cling to hope. Because my dream is something that God embeds in me that is a hope of a future event or a future day where I can live out the bliss that he is showing me. So if I allow that to happen, I've got to continue to cling to hope because hope will help me get through the pain. Help, it'll help me get through the situations that I'm facing that I won't de define my life by what I'm going through because I know who's bringing me through it. We have to be careful and cautious of what we say because sometimes in the midst of a storm, in the midst of the situation we're going through, we'll, we'll easily give up and say, you know, I, I'm going I'm to give up on that because I, I have this dream, but it doesn't seem like it's real right now. It doesn't seem like this is ever going to come to pass. And maybe God's given you dreams before and you're sitting here thinking through them as I'm talking about these and you're saying, you know, God gave me a dream one time but it didn't ever turn into a reality and, and I've kept waiting on it and I've lived and lived and lived and I've prayed and prayed and prayed and I've read and read and read but I've never seen it come to pass. Don't give up. Continue to cling to hope. Don't listen to the enemy that wants you to give up. Listen to the God that says, keep on keeping on. Endure till the end. So as I thought about this, that these dreams are, are in four different versions or, or four different sections of, of Joseph's story there in Genesis 37, that we're going to break them up. And as we break through those, I want us to see that there's four different parts of those dreams. And the first one is Joseph's dreams himself. So he's Laying in bed one night and, 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 you know, everything's good and his mom and dad loves him more than everybody else. I, th I think it's a story like my brother's. I've always called him the wonder son because he's got 5,000 pictures in the albums at home and I've got three. He goes up to mom and dad's and gets gravy and biscuits there the day and I was at home. My belly's growling and I ate cereal that I cooked. It's my own dumb fault for not going and getting it though, but I'll blame him anyway. So these first two dreams that Joseph has that God awakens him and he dreams this dream that he sees his 12 brothers bowing down to him. He's one of the youngest. He dreams that they're bowing down to him. And he's so dumb 
You can get a dream, but you can be dumb about it. So he's got this dream, and he goes out and he tells these 11 brothers his. He's like, hey, guys, guess what? God showed me. I had a dream, and you're bowing down. Ain't nobody likes to bow to nobody, especially when we got pride in our heart. The Bible says that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, so we need to be more humble about ourselves where that we go, and there's nothing wrong with nodding to somebody or giving the first, glad you're here. Amen? So Joseph does this. He tells his brothers, you know, you're going to bow down. And they said, no, we're not. Oh, no, we're not. Nope, not happening. So Joseph goes back home, and I don't know how much time frame is in this because the Bible don't say, but he, he tells another dream. He gets another dream. God shows him another dream. This time it's the sun and the moon and the stars. So then he goes back out and tells his brother and his dad and mom, everybody gather around. i got a story for you. got a new dream. This is awesome. My 11 brothers, you're going to bow down to me. And guess what, mom and dad? You are too. <laughs> no, I don't think so, boy. Go tell your mom and dad. Bow. Don't do this, kids. I'm not giving you advice. I retract that remark. <laughs> don't say that. That's dumb. But Joseph says it anyway. Even though it's a dream, it's a vision about what will come to pass. Sometimes you don't have to tell everything you know. Everybody say amen. God was showing him you're going to be a CEO someday, but you might need to take a step or two to get there. You can't start out a CEO. God showed Joseph where he would get to, but he didn't show him the struggles that would be along the journey of getting there. Sure, maybe God's given you a dream about owning your own business. Maybe he's given you a dream about uh, advancing in your career and, and, and working your way up through the organization or something. Maybe he's given you a dream of that. But that doesn't mean it's today. And that doesn't mean it's right now. So, and if, it, if he puts it off, then so be it. It's just the way it is. So I believe that when Joseph told his dad this, that I believe that there was an account where that his dad, Jacob, and Jacob was a troubled individual. You can read his story in Genesis too. But he understands that God's got a special place upon Joseph's life, and he begins to work it out, and he appoints him to a position. So in the family organization that they're running, Jacob says, okay, I'm going to make you the CIO. Everybody know what a CIO is? Does anybody want to be a CIO? Hope, hopefully you do. Because whenever we get to be the CIO, that means we're the chief information officer. Information. How many knows information is important? Let's if you start playing. I'm about done. CIO. How can we be a CIO? And how is it that that's going to play out in my life? Because God told me this is where you're going to start. And as I said a minute ago, everybody doesn't need to know everything. James 1.19 says this, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. We need to hear more than we talk. Is there anybody guilty in here talking too much? And the minute you say it, you know what I'm talking about, the minute those words leave your lips... And it's like you're trying to grab them in thin air and, and cram them back in your mouth and it's not possible because once you say something, cat's out of the bag and you're not putting it back in. Matthew 7, 6 says, Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample your pearls then turn and attack you. When God gives you a dream, it doesn't mean you've got to broadcast it to everybody. This is a lesson we need to learn. And maybe God's told you some things. There's nothing wrong with having a tight-knit circle that you can talk to. But that don't mean you tell it to everybody. We need to be in community. We need to have believers in this room that you can call when you're in trouble. That you can call when you need prayer. That you've got people that you can turn to. 
when situations are going bad in your life. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Plan what information you're going to say. And the simpler you can make it, the better. Don't over-communicate. Part of this that I'm talking about, that it's uncertain times, I believe the reason there's so much uncertainty in the world today, it's because we've got information overload. Amen? Information overload. What's that mean? You've got too many points of information coming in, and it confounds all this stuff, and it just messes up, and it murkies the water. When God's trying to tell you, slow down, take a breath, and live simple. If you're going to be a CIO, you got to know what to listen to and what not to listen to. Because if you're a CIO of an organization and you share everything you ever hear or know, I assure you this, that organization is going to falter. They don't need to know everything. Because the CEO told you, don't mean you have to tell everything. So basically what I'm telling you is, keep your mouth shut. Everybody say, I like that truth. Amen? We got to keep our mouth shut. We got to hold on to what is right. And I'm finished right now, but I, my grandmother had, and I've told this before, and I'm finished with this. She had 14,000 books in a library. Her own personal library had 14,000 books. And I stole some of them. Not stole them, they was given to me, but. This one's not one of them. I bought this one on my own. So if you want to know how people doctored in 1760 through 1840, this is an 1840 printed physician's manual. I bought it for $4. I'll let you look at it, but don't steal it because it's worth a lot to me. There's everything in the world in here. Nervous system, skeletal system, it's every bit drawn out. We think we're so smart today in 1840s. And they wasn't just eating on tree bark and stuff either. There's, there's medicine in here. That's mine. This one was a Bible that I got from my grandma's place. Pretty tattered, right? Pretty tore up. It's got the guy's name in the front of it where he wrote in it and said the property of. This is from the late 1800s. And this is one of the first editions that I can find of a Sunday school Bible. When they first started Sunday schools, the church was for poor kids that couldn't afford to go get an education. The church was responsible for teaching them how to read. This is a Sunday school Bible from the late 1800s. It's pretty awesome. These two books are some of my grandma's favorites because it talks about women in ministry. And Albie stood up here last week and, and I think she presented one of the best sermons I've ever heard in my life. If you was here, how many can say amen, Albie? And it wasn't, it wasn't easy to pray those prayers this week, Albie. And a lot of us did. And I was praying for you. And I was praying for the people of the church that we would live out the action steps she told us to live out. But my grandma, she believed in women in ministry in a day and time where that wasn't popular. She had books. These are from the late 1800s, both of them. One's 1888, the other one's like 1890-something. That was proving that women were capable and smart enough to know truth. And they was able to share it. And the thing was, women at that time wasn't even allowed to vote in our country. Women wasn't allowed to vote in a, in a booth, an election. For another 25 years after these were written women in ministry so my grandma took all this information and she wrote i can't even say this word maybe some smart person can t-r-e-a-t-i-s-e somebody pronounce that 
T-R-E-A-T-I-S-E. Treatise, treaties, I don't know. It's something like that. But if she read 14,000 books, she's apparently pretty smart, right? So she's writing words just so I can say when kids are walking in this morning. <laughs> Why are you so gleeful? Speak in English, please. That's what I'd say to my grandma. But she wrote this to a young lady that was thinking about joining in ministry. And that young lady was being told by every man in her life, women are not allowed to speak. And my grandma wrote this document. And this is the original of it. And that woman's name is Wilma. <laughs> and Sister Wilma is such a blessing to the church today and she's been in churches all over Lewis County and she's still preaching now down in Maysville and Wilma was afraid to go into ministry but my grandma wrote a document to prove to her she is allowed to according to the Bible this is the original that Sister Wilma signed and gave to me this is my grandma's it, there was no computers or anything then she typed it in, in, on a typewriter this is it it's signed to me in the front of it. The sister Wilma gave to me. So that's very important to me. And the fact was that my grandma didn't know, but she was telling a young lady to go ahead and enter into ministry. And then someday, a young lady named Gartha would move back to Lewis County and would think about starting a church. And God sent her through a dream to go talk to somebody at SOMC. Or no, the opposite. Gartha was working at SOMC. God sent a dream to Wilma to go talk at somebody at SOMC named Gartha, a swearing lady. Through a dream. Didn't know her, never heard of her, anything. Sister Wilma walked in and told Gartha, you need to do what God's telling you to do and start a church. You're sitting in a church today that Sister Gartha planted because my grandma typed this. We're living out truth in our existence right here. That's why some people might get on me for letting Albie stand up here on this stage and speak and preach. So be it. They don't even know the word treaties. Don't argue with me about it. My grandma told me it's okay. And she's got a Bible full of it. Come on, somebody. Women, I enjoy the, the fact that I'm living in a place where you got a right to vote, where you got a right to speak, where you got a right to join an organization, where you got a, a right to be a CEO, where you can be CIOs. I thank God for liberty of women in this nation that we're living in. Amen? Because that's God's intent. He does not keep you down because of what sex you are. God loves you, ladies. He'll even let you drive a standard when you got an ignorant husband. Leslie bought me this because she loves me. This is a book from 1912. An author was a, a preacher that had moved from Cincinnati into Vanceburg, and he wrote historical, chronological, fact-driven book about the history of Lewis County. He wasn't from here, but he moved here as a Methodist preacher. He wrote this book in 1912. He went to the courthouse. He studied through all the deeds. He studied through all the, the documents, the paperwork, everything else, and he printed this book. This is 1912. This is one of the original printings. It's a green one. You can't buy them. You can buy a new version, but you can't buy this one. Leslie bought it off of Amazon from somebody out in California who didn't even know where Lewis County was. These are worth several hundred dollars. Leslie bought me this. But that preacher wrote all this down and he didn't know in 20 years that the courthouse in Lewis County would burn. And everything he documented in this book no longer exists other than in this book. History matters. Write down the dreams God has for you. I love it that I've got a copy of this book, and Leslie bought it for me several years ago for Christmas. And you, you can look through that, but please don't steal it, because I'll get in trouble at home. And my favorite book in my possession, I've showed this to many people here. Time to time, if you come to my house, I always get it out. This my favorite book that I have my grandmother bought this at an auction it's an 1808 Bible and the guy that printed this 
His name is Matthew Carey. I'm going to open it up to the center section where you can see. And Matthew Carey was Benjamin Franklin's apprentice. Everybody knows Ben Franklin, right? The two I'm named after. My mom knows it's going to be so smart, so she named me after him. But little people, what, what was Benjamin Franklin's original job occupation for the government? Anybody know? Come on, people. This is History 101. He was the Postmaster General. Second Continental Congress, he was appointed to be the Postmaster General. That means he was in care of the mail service. He was the chief information officer for our nation, basically. That's how information got relayed. So his apprentice, he went to France before the war. And whenever he went to France, this guy worked for Benjamin Franklin in a print shop. And then he came to America and he draw. Moved here later, and that's one of the Bibles there. It's really old. It's kind of tore apart, but you can come and look at it. I want you guys to come up and look at these things because it's information. And this is important information to me. I can tell you history behind a lot of it. People say all the time, if, if you don't learn from history, you're destined to repeat it, right? I'm ready for some informed chief information officers at the Bridge Church. Where do we get information? We know it and we live it. Because God, it says in the New Testament, He doesn't want us to be ignorant. So if you would, won't you stand? Won't you bow your head? people in the room will go you raise your hands when I talked about that you need to not tell everybody everything and as you bow your head and close your eyes I, I just wonder is there any of us that have some words we would like to take back because we spoke some words that caused pain most likely to somebody we loved ready to ask for forgiveness for that and ask God to turn, somehow turn it around for the good if that's you I just want you to slip up your hand and say pastor I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with some of my past words my hurtful things I've said thank you for those hands hands everywhere thank you thank you thank you thank you hands everywhere so I'm going to pray that God will help us with that, that he'll turn some things around. That he'll make some things right. God's with us. But I'm also going to pray that we become dreamers this week. So I want you to set a bedtime and don't stay up too late. Because we just come through a book series that taught us how to have rest and schedule things. So I'm going to pray that God would speak to us through dreams this week. And I want us to accept those dreams and I want us to write them down. So if you will, just join with me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be assembled here together with so many lovely people. And God, I, I know that there's people here today from all walks of life. God, for the ones joining online, God, that they are enduring some pain, that they've got some situations going on, that they're, they're looking to you, God, to help them through the midst of this struggle. God, I pray that you would rise within them a new hope, a renewed hope that they could cling on to, even through troublesome times. When turmoil just seems like it is running rampant, God, that uncertain times, Lord, that we would just look to you and we would ask you, God, renew, refresh, strengthen my hope, God. And God, for those that are here today, Lord, that raised their hands, that said that they have spoke some words that they know have caused pain to others, that, God, that you would help them somehow make things right. God, that you would give them clear direction.
And Lord, that you would allow us all to hold our words, to think before we say. But Lord, we would do like the scripture tells us, to hear more than we speak. And God, I pray today that you would just allow from this day till next Sunday when we walk back in this place. God, I pray as they lay their head to rest, Lord, that you would just allow them to have rest that they've never known. God, that there would be a peace that passes all understanding would rest upon the people of the bridge. God, that you would just allow them to be refreshed and renewed and strengthened. And God, that you would just plant a dream within their mind. God, that they would dream dreams that are from you. And God, that you would show them their futures. And God, that you would give clarity in these uncertain times. God, that we could live and be your mouthpieces on this planet. Help us to be like you in all that we say or do. In Jesus' name, everyone says, Amen. Amen.